Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about the book I've been working on. It's called Start Finishing, How to Go From Idea to Done, and it will be released on September 24th, 2019. You may already know that I only really care about productivity because it's how we become our best selves in the world. All of us have gaps between what we think we can be, what we dream we can be, who we want to be, and what shows up day to day. Start Finishing bridges those gaps. The book will give you the tools, mindsets, and practices that help you do the stuff your soul is yearning to do, but that somehow seems eternally out of reach. It also features contributions from my personal friends, colleagues, and teachers, such as Seth Godin, Dan Pink, Laura Vanderkam, Jonathan Fields, Susan Piver, Joshua Becker, James Clear, Chelsea Dinsmore, Sereni Rao, and many more. I'm really proud of this book, and I consider it our book rather than my book, meaning that it would not have happened if it weren't for the amazing connections I've made with the Productive Flourishing community over the last 12 years. So, thank you. If you're interested in the book and you want to learn more and maybe pre-order it, check it out at startfinishingbook.com. That's startfinishingbook.com. And now, on to the episode. You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. So many people go, there's this this problem of how do you know what's true? What's the truth? What's my authentic self? What's true? And I've found as I've gone through this growth process over the past five years, that's not a really powerful question to ask truth at the end of the day, like different people can have different truths. I think the question we should be asking ourselves more often is what's useful. Does it work? Does it work? You know, and and that can get us so much farther than what's true. I mean, some people will, will fall, like will go to the grave defending themselves and they have to be right. And it's like, for what? Is that useful? <laughs> how many relationships did you burn and how much of life did you give up because you had to be, air quotes, right? You know, it, it's about, does it work? That was Aaron Field, founder of the Mind Fix Group, a company that helps people remove mental roadblocks and alleviate the self-sabotage their minds have been creating for years. She joins me to jam about why it's so hard to rewrite stories and change self-sabotage scripts and what to do when you're tired of the same choices leading to the same actions. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Joining me today, I'm pumped to have this conversation with you because head trash or those stories that tell that we tell ourselves that keep us from being our best self is something that um, just keeps us in these same cycles of stuckness and frustration. And what I love about your work is you help people who know they're having the head trash and know they're going through it actually overcome that. It's one thing to not even know that you have it. It's another to know that you have it and not be able to do anything about it. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I jumped a little bit ahead of myself here. Um, sometimes that happens when I'm excited. <laughs> but 
I wanted to start with your origin story, as it were, because it is such a fascinating journey. Um, because you started along one route, and and I was kind of talking to you about this in the green room. A lot of times we discover a body of work that we never would have imagined falling into. Um, it wasn't on the career path. It wasn't what we went to school for. It was, it just emerges. And a lot of times that can create its own head trash. Like what about all those years and all those degrees and all the time I spent doing thing A, but now I'm overdoing thing B. So what was thing A and how did you get to thing B? <laughs> so my thing A is I ran a web agency for 16 years, 16, 17 years. Yeah. And, um, Started when I was in my very early twenties, grew the business, um, did you know really successful. We made millions for our clients, made millions for the company. We were award winning, nationally ranked. Everything seemed really great, you know, seemed pretty solid. And from the outside, it, it was. But about five or so years ago, I started waking up, going, "I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life." I, I, I didn't, and it started to scare me very badly because it was all I'd ever known. I went straight from graduate school into starting a business. And then suddenly all these years later, I'm going, I don't want to do this, but I don't know how to do anything else. Oh my gosh. So I, I started looking into all sorts of programs, like, you know, to try and find out my, what's my unique ability? What am I actually good at? What could I ever possibly end up doing? And I kept trying to force it. Like I kept going and talking to people and going to webinar or you know programs thinking, if I just do this, they'll give me the answer and it'll tell me what I should do with the rest of my life, which is ridiculous, but I didn't know any other way. Um, ironically, what ended up happening is um, about a year into this journey of what am I going to do next, even though I'm still building the business, uh, I ended up... <laughs> Uh, one day having chronic pain. Like I stepped off my mountain bike, I felt a twinge in my ankle. And then suddenly that twinge like went through my body and my body shut down. I couldn't compete. I couldn't train. Um, I couldn't do anything. And I was so miserable. So I was going to doctors and they're telling me, don't know what's wrong with you. Go see this brain surgeon, go get this back surgery. Go, you know, I thought here I went from being somebody healthy to you know, being pushed around, you know, for hundreds of doctors and therapists and practitioners. And I was so miserable. So I started to get severely depressed. I started to have severe anxiety. Um, you know, my life was just crumbling around me. I'm like, oh my God, it's rock bottom. And then a week later I'd be like, oh no, this is rock bottom. Like <laughs> I didn't realize you could get more miserable. And then it would be groundhog's day for seven more days. And I'd be like, oh no, this is it because it would just be like, okay, day 437, no change, no improvement. And it was, it destroyed me. Um, what ended up happening is I started to see a therapist because of my depression and anxiety. And it was she who planted this possibility in my head that, hey, it's not what's actually going on in your life that's making you miserable. It's kind of, you know, what's up here? And the way that you're looking at the world and the way that you're seeing things and the way that you're filtering all of these events and how events are occurring to you. And I thought that was fascinating. And when I asked her how I could actually go about changing what was up here, she gave me an answer I didn't like. And it was something like, you know, you got to see me more, come in more often, 
it's going to take years and we're, we're going to explore together faith, love, blah, 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 blah. And all just this kind of loosey goosey. We're just going to see what happens and try it. And I was like, no, I'm going to figure this out. And I was so determined and so focused to learn how I could actually change what was going on up here. I just devoted all of my energy to it because I was like, if I don't, I'm going to die. I cannot live the rest of my life this way. I'm going to figure this out. So I put all my energy into exploring different ways of uh, different modalities and working with experts and taking courses and being my own science experiment and ended up figuring out how I could actually change what was going on up here. And then suddenly friends would, you know, saw what was going on and I had a, a wait list out the door as I'm still trying to, you know, build the agency. And it took me a solid half year before, like, I got the light bulb over my head, you know, going, I'm still going to build this agency while I'm helping people on the side. And I didn't realize, oh my gosh, <laughs> took me a solid half year to realize, wait, 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 wait. I love what I'm doing over here. There's a demand. I'm really amazing at it. Everybody has seen changes. Everybody's lives changed. I've changed my life. This is replicable. <gasps> I think I have something. I think I'm on to something. And it, it literally had landed in my lap and I hadn't even seen it. I couldn't have planned it out for, you know, in a million years other than my undergraduate degree was in psychology and I knew I loved this type of work, but I didn't plan it. It, it ended up happening to me. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm not well versed in your in your language yet, but what's interesting about that ha that six months, which you're like, it took forever, which <laughs> cracks me up because that's actually a short amount of time, <laughs> right? Um, but it's really, um, I like to call them operating beliefs. And the reason I call them that is they're not necessarily your conscious beliefs. They're not the ones that you'd say, this is what I believe. But when you look at how you actually operate, they're the ones that are doing the driving. Absolutely. In fact, most of the beliefs that we find that people that are causing people to be stuck and causing them to self-sabotage and experience counterproductive, counter, counterproductive thoughts and emotions and behaviors are actually ones that they intellectually would disagree with. So I had one, um, I was, you know, straight A's in high school. I was that kid that won annoyingly every single award, you know, graduated high school early, went into college, graduated college even earlier. You know, I'm, I went into graduate school, couldn't even drink, just annoying, like all of this proof and evidence and awards, right? So if someone had come to me and said, Aaron, you're, you're pretty stupid, I would have argued with them and shown them all this proof. But if you took a peek when I was a kid in my journal, you would have seen things like, I am so stupid. I am so stupid. I am not as smart as these people. And I made these mistakes and I'm so dumb. And you would have seen it all pouring out in secret, right? But intellectually, I knew that I knew that I was smart and I would argue it, but inside I didn't believe it. It's really fascinating because there's sort of two um, mantras principles that are coming up for me. One is emotion drives action. Um, how we feel, how all those other stories, those operating beliefs are actually can, are what can drive us. And one of the most influential books I've ever read has been the metaphors we live by, by Lakoff and Johnson. And I took what they were saying even further. Um, because basically what it argues is the, the language that we use to describe things actually becomes the way that we see and operate in the world, right? And so I've made it 
I started thinking about it in much thicker. Like those are things like time is money is, is the example that they give. Like when you, when you start using that metaphor, you start living by that metaphor. And again, I took it deeper. It's like, well, there's also these stories we tell ourselves much deeper than things like time is money that become the things that we believe that then become the things that we live and act by. I read this when I was in my early 20s. I was like, wow, like what if we just change our metaphors and use different metaphors and realize that we have the power to change metaphors and that there's no metaphor perhaps that accurately captures the world. What can we do with ourselves? Right. Um, and so that's really what comes to, what's comes to me as you're talking, because, you know, on the one hand, you can say, I, I know I'm smart. I've got all the things I could do all the evidence. I've done all the training. I've done all the things I've set at the table. I've run the competition. I'm blah, 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 blah. Right. But deep inside is that metaphor, that story, that head trash that messed up as it is, has the, the dial of the compass that's telling you which way to go despite the fact that you see a different map. It's really frustrating. <laughs> well, it's so true. Like that, that piece of head trash, it impacts how we experience the world. It impacts how events occur to us. And so we see things as evidence of what we believe to be true, right? So if you and I are standing in the hallway and we're having a conversation and Susie walks by and she walks down the hallway and some part of you has this story that you're not a likable person, okay? Mm -hmm. And she walks down the hallway, glances at us, doesn't say anything, and keeps walking, okay? You have the belief that you're not likable. I don't have it. To you, that's going to look like evidence that she doesn't like you. She just glanced at you and kept walking. That is proof. That is evidence. You're going to point to it and go, see? Mm -hmm. I don't have that story inside. I look at it and I go, oh. Susie's busy. Susie's preoccupied. Susie's thinking about something else. Susie is going to, you know, having a quiet day. She's introverted, whatever. There could be a million other possibilities. I don't see it as proof that you're not likable, right? But that story will have you pointing to her going, there's the evidence. And it determines how we see things. We think we go around experiencing life and then that determines what we believe but actually what we believe goes like determines how we go around experiencing life yeah before we had the language of confirmation bias right which is what we're talking about there um you know i, I learned this from philosophy it's um that observation is theory laden right meaning that how you see the world depends upon the theory that you look at the world with it's an incredible problem in the philosophy of science and epistemology right because if that's true how can we determine what's true and what's not? Because whatever stories we have, whatever theories we have, are what we're going to see in the world. Mm. Um, and so it's been a, grip, a gripping problem there for a long time. But now we talk about it as confirmation bias. It's the same basic principle. And what I've found interesting and so valuable, like so many people go, there's this, this problem of how do you know what's true? What's the truth? What's my authentic self? What's true? And I've found as I've, gone through this growth process over the past five years, that's not a really powerful question to ask. Truth at the end of the day, like different people can have different truths. I think the question we should be asking ourselves more often is what's useful? Does it work? Does it work? Yeah. You know, and, and that can get us so much farther than what's true. I mean, some people will will fall like 
will go to the grave defending themselves and they have to be right. And it's like, for what? Is that useful? <laughs> how many relationships did you burn and how much of life did you give up because you had to be, air quotes, right? You know, it, it's about, does it work? Does it work? Um, unless you're wanting to have, like, you're really in a metaphysical conversation about what's true and what's not, like, that's a different sort of conversation. We're not talking about that, right? Yes. Those right. are fun. And then, yeah, yes, you can start talking about truth and theorizing and have a blast and, and uh, you know, talk in circles, of course. But in, the day, in our day-to-day lives and when we're talking about how to be more productive and efficient and happier humans, mm-hmm. people who cling and look for truth versus what's useful and what works tend not to get as far. Absolutely. And so, and I think there's the, um, it kind of goes to your story when you mentioned that there's a point in the journey where you were basically looking for external sources to give you the answer, right? The external sources to tell you what's useful for you or what best serves you. And that's always fraught because the answer you're normally going to get is what's best served them or what's best served other folks, which can be useful, right? But it may not be dialed in enough. And in the things we're talking about, there's the 85% solution is not, well, is exponentially worse than the 100% solution for you, right? Because that difference of 15 degrees can mean a lot of different things for your life. I'm not going to go into the metaphor of if you leave LA and you're 2% off where you'll end up around the world, right? But it's one of those things over time, that variation between what's useful for you. And what may be useful for someone else can lead to really dramatic results um, the longer you keep on to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we've been sort of talking around head trash. And the frustrating thing about it is that often we realize what that story is, right? <laughs> we know that story that we're telling ourselves. Um, and we know that it's not serving because we know it's not, we know what it is. We know it's not useful. Why is it so hard to change it? most people, what I've found is that the reason why we cling to something, like part of our mind is clinging to an old story or an old piece of head trash. For most people, I'd say this is 90%. Some part of them is absolutely convinced that they saw evidence that it was true. So if they go back to when they were young or whether it was in high school or at a job or something, they can actually point to a time, usually repeated events, where it seemed like they saw in the world evidence and proof that this was true. And at the time, usually when we're young, we don't have other ways to understand what's going on around us. We come to these conclusions and we go, this is how the world works. And then as we've been talking about, proof and evidence doesn't change our mind. So as we get older, intellectually, we understand that that belief or that story isn't true. But literally, when you think you've seen something, you cannot be talked out of it. If someone shows me an MRI and, you know, I see like a disc that's, you know, all messed up and and someone then tells me, no, you have a really healthy back. It's going to be a lot harder for me to believe that person because I'm like, I saw it. I saw evidence, right? And if you talk to a little kid and you're like, how do you know Santa Claus is real? And it's like, I saw him in the books. I saw him at the mall. We, We think we see things. So that's why providing more evidence to the contrary, just you can't talk yourself out of a belief 
because that little tiny part of you in the back of your head is like, uh, 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 I saw it. I saw it. That's why it's so hard to try and undo beliefs and stories and head trash and why the process to unhook beliefs so that they don't hook you anymore gets the mind to realize, oh God, I never actually saw that. (laughs) And as soon as you can do that, it, it can go away. Yeah, I'm going to hang out here too, because the challenge is, um, and I write a little bit about this in Start Finishing, right? The challenge is it's not just our own stories, our own seeings that we codify as evidence. Our cultures have stories that we also absorb and that becomes part of the mental matrix of evidence that we have. And so, for instance, what we're kind of talking around, I call them the no-win scenarios that we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And they have different ones like, you know, one of the main ones is success will wreck my relationships. Oh, yeah. Right. When you have, when you've seen that so many times, when you watch television shows every night that tell you that, when you read it in um, spiritual scripture, when you read it in all of these different places, it becomes one of those things that is the truth. Yeah. You can't change it. And so, you know, that's just one of the four, right? So as you start thinking about doing, or as you do the things that become successful in the back of your mind, there's always that nag of like, oh, I am going to wreck my relationship somewhere. And we end up in the situation where we neither want to succeed because we don't want to wreck those relationships, but we don't want to fail because no one wants to be a failure. So we end up in these compromised, mediocre positions where we never, we never really succeed nor fail um, and in this gray area that can be really frustrating over years, right? And it all comes from that one no-win scenario that you've told yourself or that you've, got, that you've codified as evidence that no amount of shaking <laughs> will see. Like, and, and the other thing that I'll say about it is when, you have, when we have a belief Um, And Erin's a subject matter expert here, so she'll correct me if I'm wrong about this, right? But when we have a belief that already has some evidence and we want to think it's true, every new bit of evidence that we see that confirms that actually strengthens it. And every bit of disconfirming evidence doesn't actually lodge into it. It's, it's, we sort of write that off as an exception, or maybe you didn't see something, or maybe I was wrong, or that couldn't have been true because we have this theory, we have this belief about the way things are. So it's this weird thing. We add evidence to the theory. We reject disconfirming evidence to it whatsoever. And so we yes. end up only codifying these, this head trash. Think about the example with me and you in the hallway and Susie walking by, right? We could even do a replay of that. Let's say she goes to the water cooler and this time she comes back and she looks at you and she smiles, but then she keeps walking. And I could be like, see, there's proof that she likes you. And you could be like, no, because she didn't stop. She didn't stop to talk to me. And that was a fake smile. It like it doesn't matter, right? Like it just goes into the the bin of proof and evidence that people don't like me. Yeah, um, and so you know, there's different ways of talking about it. now. Aaron, um, I've from the work that I've seen, you're on the no woo side of things in the sense of you don't like necessarily like talking about the woo side of things, which is great. Um, I tend to look at patterns which can sometimes say woo or sound woo, but the fact of the matter is, I'm kind of going back to your origin story here and pulling this in. Because I want to um, just suggest or have people think about the fact that the body keeps the score of all of these stories and all of this head trash. And eventually, it catches up with people, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that they fall off the side of a cliff or fall off a mountain bike, but we'll start experiencing the pains. We'll start experiencing the headaches, the migraines. Whether it's woo, whether it's scientific, that negative energy has to go somewhere. 
Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And what, what we find is with successful people and high achievers and entrepreneurs, you can't make it through a whole day thinking awful things about yourself. You can't be you know, on, on interviews and talking to potential new clients and writing proposals and working with your team members if in the back of your head all day, 24-7, it's this like, you suck and you're awful and this isn't going to work, right? So what we do a lot of times is we dissociate or we numb or we push those down and we go, I can't, I don't have time to feel it, right? And we push it down. So what's really interesting is when we are working with clients and we try to figure out what beliefs and what stories are, tr- you know, they actually believe, because you can't just ask somebody all the time because they'll go, of course, I don't believe that I'm not important. Of course, I'm important, right? Well, we, we take people through three different tests to see if they actually believe something to be true. And one of the tests is, you know, say it out loud. Do you feel it somewhere in your body? And a lot, you know, a large percentage of our client, not all of them, some people don't feel anything in their body, but a large percentage of them will go, oh my God, my, my throat is tightening up. My chest is hurting. Some people say, I feel a weird feeling in the back of my neck, my right hip. You get all of the stuff where the body, they say a statement out loud or a story and the body is suddenly like goes on fire or starts hurting. And, and it's so true. There is such a connection between our emotions and our nervous system and our body and our thoughts. And they you can't, you can't, uh, like they're absolutely intertwined. There's a huge gift in this though, right? Because a lot of times when we try to go into the cognitive sphere and say, what do I believe? What do I not believe? We get these, we get things that aren't useful, right? Yes. But there are times <laughs> where I'm just like, look at what your body's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Look at, you know, and I'm, I'm in the Gandhi camp of action expresses priority. Yes. Right. But I think yes. we can, we can broaden that to say action expresses story. Mm. Right. And yes. so if you continue to do the same things, that is your story one way or the other, right. You can tell yourself it's not, but again, just watch your behaviors, right? If we say this thing that you cognitively know is not is untrue, but your stomach tenses up when you say it, it's probably your story, right? <laughs> deal with it right like go from there as opposed to doing and and i would love for you to speak on this because the other thing we do when we see some head trash that we don't rationally or cognitively accept we try to stuff it away we try to dismiss it we try to put it somewhere because it's not true right so why should i even pay attention to it um tell me about your experience with people in that pattern um i think what we find is that it's it's new for people to realize that they can have conflicting beliefs. I think a lot of times people will think that, well, of course I don't believe that to be true, period, end of story. But part of you can be like, I'm intelligent and I'm smart. And this other part of you can be like, no, you're really stupid. And and so sometimes people will focus on one or the other and they won't acknowledge the other one. And what happens is, when you don't acknowledge that you feel a certain way, you know, you can take any story or any belief and run it through the filters, you know, say it out loud. Do you feel it in your body? Do you feel an emotion or does it just feel true? And what happens is if somebody doesn't run it through the filters and doesn't acknowledge, hey, I, part of me does believe this, what happens is they go into, okay, then I'm going to push this away. I'm going to suppress it. I'm going to not think it. I'm not going to, I'm going to 
tell myself repeatedly, like AKA CBT therapy or something like that, you know, where just, just tell yourself you're making a mountain out of a molehill. And if you tell yourself that 8,000 times, maybe you'll stop. Um, and people just try to pave over them. They tried, they, they just try to pave over them. They try to push them down. And that's where I think people start getting the physical pains and the, the physical manifestations, or they start experiencing odd behavior and acting in self-sabotage in ways that, they, that don't serve them. So they go, why am I acting this way? It doesn't make sense, but it's because they've kind of pushed a lot of these beliefs down and they're not aware of what's actually causing them to act in counterproductive ways. Yeah, I worry. I haven't done enough of the research on this to say this with the full confidence that I would say other things. But part of my concern there is that we've somehow in this broader literature of personal development and sort of, you know, personal change that we're in have told people or it's been absorbed that if you speak to a belief, you like make that belief more true or you make it more alive. And so if you speak to this belief that tells you you're stupid and you're not feeling it and you're not worthy, that somehow you give it more energy, somehow you make it more alive and more true than if you just avoid it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that because a lot of people, when, when we start doing some of this work, they're like, well, I don't want to spend time journaling about that or I don't want to spend time talking about that because it just gives it more energy, more life. And it's not true. So why not? But I'm like, it's already, it's already alive yeah. and true, right? In a way. It's already doing the work. Like us talking about it, not going to make it any, any, like any worse. In fact, it's going to help us uproot it, right? If we at least acknowledge that it's there and it's a countervailing force to where you're trying to go. It's that the concept of radical acceptance, right? People will go, I don't believe that. I don't feel that way. And so they're trying to push the, the, the beach ball underwater. It's not here, right? And it takes energy to push things away. Whereas when you accept it, something, and you acknowledge it, and you go, it's here, a lot of times it can just dissolve and the power can go away. Not all of the time, but with so many things, like people will go, I don't have a hurt knee. I'm going to push through it. I'm going to keep running. You know, I'm going to finish my marathon, even though it's blowing up and it's the size of the balloon. And we push through things instead of accepting where we're actually at. Again, accepting that part of us believes things to be true. And when you don't accept some, something, you can't, you can't improve it. You know, you try to push it away and it, it'll come back somehow. Yeah. And here's where sometimes we have to worry about the disanalogy between what's happening physically and what's happening internally in our minds and things like that. Because our knees will blow and wear out. And like we have that evidence, like no matter whether you like it or not, that thing is broken. It's not working, right? And it's painful when you touch it. It's swollen. It looks like a watermelon attached to your leg as opposed to your thing. But we don't have that sense of um, evidence for those stories and the things that we push under, right? And mm-hmm. so we sometimes like, well, just like my knee or just like this other thing, this other physical thing where I push through the pain, I can do that on the mental emotional sphere too, um, except for you can't, right? Um, because it doesn't operate in that same way. So while there is this connection between the body and what's going on internally, emotionally, mentally, right? There are some disanalogies too that I think are part of those stories that can keep us stuck and pushing things down when we look to say, you know what? My mental knee is broken, <laughs> right? And I got to do something about that. 
yeah, it's not quite as obvious, right, with our with our mental worlds. You're exactly right. So even though sometimes when we push things down, the body starts to manifest what's been going on up here. Okay. So we're going to pile on the pain a little bit more um, in the sense of um, the other belief that we have that gets in the way is you mentioned that the the experience of believing two contradictory things at once, right? The other challenge with head trash and sort of these beliefs are that it's usually they are anchoring, one is anchoring another down, or one may be anchoring multiples down. And so we may solve one and only find out that the other anchor one has figured out a new way <laughs> to kind of come back around. And you sort of mentioned a story earlier that, that may be one of those scenarios where it's like you can't, well, I won't say because I don't do the work as deeply as you do that you can't work on everything at once. But you just have to understand you may dislodge one piece of head trash, only find that it was tied to something else that keeps it in stasis. Absolutely. Um, I think a really beautiful example of that is our beliefs and stories surrounding change and what's possible with change. So if part of you, um, you know, if you're someone who's gone and sought help and support and worked with coaches and mentors and done programs and you've had a long life of you know things not working for you and over the years you've come to the story of change is difficult change can't happen for me change must take a long time right and then that's anchored for you and that's real to you and then you go into a life-changing program you literally see the results that you asked for, hoped for, um, you know, and it, it exceeded your expectations. Because that those results cannot live <laughs> in it, it, with the, the the anchored beliefs around change. You will find a different way to interpret your success, and you will go back to pointing to change must be difficult. And this isn't possible this didn't happen and we we literally experienced that with a recent client who who shared hey you know um he came into the program and he's like i have a background in psychology and therapy and i know for a fact that um change has to take a long time there's nothing in the mind that can change quickly you know i've studied this for 50 years and we're like oh yeah watch this so <laughs> we think <laughs> silly yeah. silly enough like we forget our own work in knowing that just because we prove it to him doesn't mean that will change his belief. Um, but we think if we just blow his mind enough, you know, he came in with this lifelong pattern of setting goals. And every time you would get close to completing a goal or pushing it across the finish line, whether it was closing a project, getting a new client, buying a house, whatever it was, he would sabotage. He would avoid, run away, go somewhere else, start a new goal. He never finished things. Um, by the end of our two months working together, he's like, I haven't done that. I haven't done it in like three weeks, four weeks. It's not happening. It's, un it's not happening anywhere. Like I'm a completely different person. This has changed my life. This is the most unbelievable thing. I've never experienced this before raving. And then yet, because we had never, we jumped right in and we had never worked on his beliefs around change. He started to say, well, I'm sure this won't last. I'm sure this is actually because of the other work I've done in the past and not actually this work because nothing can happen this quickly. And he started telling the stories that would align with his beliefs about change. And we were 
devastated to realize like all we had needed, to, we really should have worked on his, his stories around change first because those anchored him down and he wasn't able to experience or see the success that he literally had asked for and achieved. And, and it was really heartbreaking to, to hear, you know, him tell this different story about, no, it's not real. Yeah. And like we've said, you can't change his mind about that. (laughs) Super frustrating, super, super frustrating. Right. (laughs) Um, Well, we could have, if we had done so, that's where we messed up. We really, in our work, we should have addressed his beliefs and his stories about change, dissolved those first. And then anything we could have done afterwards, he would have been open to seeing them. So we just, that was on us for not working on this change stuff first. You know, what's really fascinating about this is that um, I don't have great language around it, but sometimes when I'm working with goal setting for myself or with clients, um, I'll go to like setting curious goals that sound more like what if or what might happen or things like that when I'm approaching things where I know that I myself or that they have contradictory beliefs that say we can't do that or that there's a way that it has to be. And so rather than saying, for instance, um, I'll give a more concrete example here. So um, I started a um, pretty intensive workout and diet routine back in April 1st, right? April 1st. And then in about two months, I lost 25 pounds, right? Um, And so I reached sort of um, my stabilization weight, which was what I am now, where I've just been for years. And rather than saying I can like lose, get down to, you know, 200 pounds or I can't, it's, I converted that to a, like, what would it be like to do that? Or, you know, like, is it possible for me to do that? Or is that something I want? I changed that from that directive, like, can I do this? Or how might I do this to just a curiosity of like, what happens past this point? And now that we're talking about it, why I do that is because I'm playing with um, change, actually more so than the goal, more so than anything about the belief. It's our view of what it takes to change, how to maintain change, so on and so forth, right? And so I didn't, I usually, and in that specific circumstances, I don't want to inject a story that is going to be hard, that you can do it, that you can't do it. Just what happens if we just remain open and see evidence in a new way? And we tried not to go into it with a theory about what it has to be or what is going to happen. So there's one of those few areas where I won't set a hypothesis or a goal or set an assumption just because I know there's such resistance to any of those that it might actually undermine the entire process of us being curious and looking at data in an open way as opposed to a closed way. Does that make any sense? It does. And interestingly enough, the question, that curiosity that you're playing with it's a really valuable tool to uncover what people's specific head trash is. So you can work with, say, uh, you know, a woman and you can say, what would happen if you lost your 50 pounds? What, what, what might happen? And instead of hearing, you know, I'd feel free and light again and I'd fit into my clothes again, you might hear something like, I might get sexually abused again. You know, I might bring attention onto myself. And suddenly... When you get curious and you throw out some of these goals of what would happen if, what would happen if your personal income went up to a million dollars this year? And it'd be like, well, I obviously wouldn't have time for my family, right? And you can start, that is one of the most beautiful questions. What would happen if X? And what starts coming out of your mind, if you start journaling or writing or you're talking to somebody and you take notes, you can start peeling, you know, like, 
you know, it's like getting this big flashlight and pointing it and you just start hearing the head trash of all of the assumptions of what will come with a certain outcome, which can be really fascinating. Yeah, which can be really fascinating. And it's fascinating because it will oftentimes reveal why you've been self-sabotaging, yes, why you exactly. haven't been taking on action on things. So it's not just an interesting belief. It's like, oh, if you really believe, to take your example of sexual abuse, if you really believe in the way that it's a story and the way that we've been talking about, that were you to do that, you put yourself in danger. Yes. And you have... We all have a primal urge not to put ourselves in danger. So no wonder you don't want to lose the weight. Like it, it all starts to make complete sense. People think they're going crazy when they self-sabotage or they think they're going crazy when they experience resistance and go, it's so hard for me to, to do the work and so hard for me to look at my to-do list. It's so difficult. Why is there so much resistance? They're not crazy. There's just competing commitments and there's beliefs and head trash. And when you get it all on the table, it makes so much sense. Like people aren't broken. There's just little parts and pieces in their mind that are kind of like acting as barriers that are keeping them stuck in loops. What I want to say is they're not broken and I'll take it even further. You're not uniquely defective in some way. And unfortunately, we all carry that story with us in some ways, like whatever's going on for someone else, whatever we might try won't work for us because I've got the thing. Or maybe I've got multiple things. I'm uniquely defective. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. And it's a terrible story. But when you really get down to it, we carry those stories with us. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, we pick up those stories from our society and TV and all the different things around us and what people tell us. And so that's, I think, the um, one other thing that I want to put is, is like this work. Well, maybe, maybe it's just me. I could be wrong about this. But my experience has been that this work of uprooting head trash and self-sabotage strategies and things like that, it's like daily work or weekly work because there's new ones that pop up, right? That may not necessarily be yours. But um, so for me personally, it's, I might get rid of one and then there's something else that pops up, or I at least have to be vigilant about those operating beliefs of like, wait a second, I'm doing X. X is not what I would like, what I believe or what I believe about myself, but I'm doing it nonetheless. What's going on there? So there's this maintenance, I would want to say, um, maintenance work that I have to do, but maybe um, that's not the way it has to be. It doesn't have to be that. And, and the, the way, the reason that I can, the best, the easiest story that I can share to illustrate this is I love to share the story of, of Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Like, truly everything once once a kid no longer believes in santa claus like there's no maintenance there's no having to remind yourself um there's no having to then work with the beliefs that i should leave cookies and milk out like things fall away and your actions and your behavior and everything changes and there's no maintenance that's ever required like it just it never comes back Mm -hmm. and you don't suddenly have to deal with related beliefs like but i think there's rudolph maybe like everything around it falls apart when you get at a really root core belief. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion would be that if it feels like there are other beliefs that are sprouting up, the one that you think you got rid of may not have been totally cleared out. Cool. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, So we've been talking about, you know, sort of the, well, one of the reasons I wanted to sort of talk about all the different ways that head trash in these stories can um, waylay us is because, again, people end up with stories like, I tried the thing, I did the repetition, I tried that, um, and I'm just not 
able to overcome that, like so on and so forth, right? So just wanted to say like you're you're working against a well, I'll use a military framework. I hate to use that sometimes, but <laughs> you're working against the enemy that's adaptive, that has multiple points on you, and that's been doing this for a long time, i.e. old trees have deep roots in the sense of whatever head trash or stories you have, they've been growing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're deeply embedded into your matrix, into your heart, into your head, into the mm-hmm. ways that you behave. And so it's not, um, it's, we would find it reasonable that um, it has different ways that it hangs on. It's not as easy as reading the book, um, saying a wish three times, and then it appears, right? Um, so that's why I wanted to set all of that up, because personal change can be challenging. I'm not saying it has to be. It can be, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're not really going to root causes. So how yeah. do we how do we get stuck from unstuck from self-sabotage in some of these head trash doors that we can close? Honestly, the first, like I can share that there, there's two steps. The, the first step is you have to identify, like you have to uncover what those roots are. Most people never get to step one. They go around and they, they, they might, uh, they ignore or they deny that they believe something. Um, and step two really is dissolving or eliminating it, which is the process we go through that gets the mind to realize that they never saw that belief in the world, which is really powerful and it's instant. And it's like the Santa Claus, oh my God, I never saw him. Oh my God, everything falls into place. But for step one, one of the most powerful questions that anybody can ask themselves um, to immediately uncover stories and head trash and what's holding them back is to take any pattern that they're engaged in that's counterproductive. So it could be a way of acting, like you are always snapping at people who give you feedback, or it could be a way of thinking about yourself, like, oh, I'm just no good. Or it could be an emotion where every time somebody looks at you a certain way, you, you feel anxious. So it could be anything counterproductive, but it's a pattern that you experience over and over and over. And the million dollar gold nugget question for people to start asking themselves is simply this. It's what would I have to believe to be true in order to keep experiencing this pattern over and over again? When we ask ourselves that, instead of feeling like we're at the whim of the universe and at the whim of our thoughts and it just happens to us and that's who we are and it's our personality and you know we took the personality test and that's who we are and that's just how we're going to be. I'm an introvert, so that's why I feel anxious every time somebody talks to me at a party. No. If you ask yourself, what would I have to believe to be true to be experiencing this pattern of feeling anxious every time somebody talks to me? You'll start to uncover stories like what I have to say is not important, or if I make a mistake or fail in what I say, I'm going to be rejected, or I'm not as valuable as the people around me. And you start to pick out these pieces of head trash and you lay them all out and you go, oh my God, somebody believed all these things. Of course, they're going to have anxiety. It's not just who you are or your personality. But that's the, that's the question that people can start to get in the habit of asking themselves and they start to learn a lot about themselves in a really short period of time. I love it. And just for repetition, will you ask the question one more time? Yep. What would I have to believe to be true in order to keep experiencing this pattern over and over again? Nice. Um, I'm looking at the time and 
wow, has it flown in such a great way. Um, and so, Aaron, as today's guest, you get to leave either a invitation or a challenge for our listeners, depending upon which of those resonates with you. So what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do based upon what we've talked about? I would love to invite everybody listening to seriously ask themselves that question and get into the habit of asking themselves that million dollar question at least 10 times a day. I probably ask myself that 10 to 20 to 30 times a day. But that is one of the most insightful and interesting questions that will allow you to learn more about yourself than almost any other question um, in a short period of time. So I invite people to not just go, oh, that's cool, but to literally take 10 seconds here and there throughout their day to simply ask themselves that question and see what shows up. Aaron, it's been a blast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Aaron. When you're thinking about some counterproductive pattern that you have in your life, ask yourself the following question. What would I have to believe to keep experiencing that thing over and over again? Sit down three times a day. Ask yourself that every time you see one of these counterproductive patterns come up. You might just change your world in a week. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.